0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shout of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash and this is the weekend edition where we interview notable people in the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a man named the Apartment King in Dallas. Welcome to the show, Brad Sumrock.
1: Glad to be on, Victor.
0: So, Brad, you are an educator. You're an apartment investor. You've got thousands of units in your portfolio. Give us a little bit of the backstory, some of your journey, how you got from your first investment to where you are today.
1: Well, before I started investing, I had two degrees and 17 years in corporate America, and I started my investment career by reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, went to a seminar, and invested in my specialized education. And as a result of that decision, which honestly a lot of people made fun of me for going to a seminar in the corporate world, I was able to buy a 32-unit apartment building, and that was my first investment property, so I did not start with a single-family rental.
0: Well, you know, so many people start with that single family home. I certainly did, frankly, wasted a lot of time doing projects that were far too small. And, you know, if I was to go back and do it again, I would certainly do what you did and start bigger much, much sooner. Obviously, you've had some success as a real estate investor. What took you into the realm of education?
1: Well, I was able to quit my job in three years because when I invested in specialized education and read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I learned that retirement, instead of saving your money and diversifying and investing for the long term and hoping you die before you run out of money when you retire at 65 or 70, that definition became replacing your W-2 income with investment income. So I was able to do that within three years of apartment investing and I was only 38. So what was I going to do? You know, go to uh, Mexico and sip pina coladas would have been pretty boring after a couple months. And what started happening is people would come to me and ask me how I did it. Uh, My mentor actually was growing his company and he asked me if I wanted to help him with that and you know, investing in apartments for me has always been something I was able to do part time and that's what I tell my students now is you don't need to quit your job to be a real estate investor. In fact, I would recommend that you not quit your job to be a real estate investor until you're able to replace your income.
0: Well, that's exactly right. You know, one of the things that I've seen, certainly over the last four or five years, the multifamily asset class has become very hot. There's a lot of people chasing product. In fact, many properties, when they come on the market, I see multiple offers. How are you able to get a volume of uh, of apartment buildings and apartment complexes in your portfolio in today's environment and still meet your investment criteria?
1: Well, that's a good question. And that is the hot sector right now, but it hasn't always been. And fortunately for me and the people that work with me and, and leverage my 16,000 plus hours of, you know, expertise in, in the multifamily industry, it's not just what you know, but it's who you know. And even though, you know, it seems like it's a huge industry, it's really not. It's it's a small industry. And in any given market, you know, 20% of the brokers control 80% of the inventory, So it's really about having a track record with those brokers and getting first shots at a lot of deals and a second look. Um, So we're not always having to be the highest price or the most aggressive terms, because what sellers still want is certainty of closing and a smooth transaction. So that's what enables us to get a priority position in these deals. And then if you're a newbie student, it's really an unfair business trying to compete at that level. And that's one of the things that we help people do. If you're a new syndicator, um, you could leverage somebody else's 10 or, in our case, 16,000 hours and collapse timeframes and use proven people on your team. So they're using proven lenders, proven attorneys, proven due diligence people, proven management companies, and that makes them more competitive when they're making their offer. Now, the other thing you mentioned is meeting your investment criteria and five years ago, our investment criteria was a 20% IRR. Today, it's about a 13 to 14% IRR. So, you know, if, if you don't change your investment criteria with the market, then it might be considered that you're overpaying for a deal. But for me, I would still rather invest in something that I know, something that I understand, and get that 13 to 14% IRR for my investors then put it into an asset class that I'm not familiar with.
0: That makes sense. Now, many investors, when they're new, they consider that raising capital to be the hardest thing. You teach syndication. Uh, you teach, you know, pulling people together, pull together some strong teams. But in my experience, the the most difficult part is not raising the money. It's actually executing the projects. How do you take them through the due diligence process, make sure that they leave no stone unturned, and they are ultimately going to you know, have a well-managed project at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, so there's different phases and different parts of due diligence. So if you're buying a deal or leading the syndication of the deal, obviously you want to have your financial due diligence and make sure you understand the numbers and the physical due, due diligence of the property. But you also want to make sure you do your market due diligence, that you're buying in a market that's going to support you know, your capital improvements, your pro forma rent increases. It's not just if you build it, they will come. If you overdevelop a property in a demographic that doesn't support it, they will not come. And I've seen that happen before. So the due diligence for the person leading the acquisition is 50% the property, the other 50% is the market. Now, the third type of due diligence for passive investors is they need to do due diligence on the syndicator team. Because how many times, Victor, have you ever seen an offering package that was put out where the management team presented themselves as weak and inexperienced? For example, hey, we've lost everybody's money in the past. We've never been successful. Um, We don't have much experience but give us a shot. You never see that, right? But the reality is all these great resumes and packages that you see in these offerings always present the the syndicator team as some group of people that have a vast amount of experience, right? And it just looks like a no-brainer so for the passive investor, you want to be educated so that you could make intelligent decisions, ask the right questions, make sure their pro formas are in line with historical numbers, but also go through a, a process to vet the, syndicate, the syndicator team and their experience and track record.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I saw a package cross my desk not that long ago for a property in an extraordinary in an extraordinary location and the rents that they were putting putting forward in that pro forma were 40% higher than anything in the market and they you know they were looking for people to become involved with the project asking me to become involved with the project but they were unwilling to come back and you know, develop some more realistic market numbers. And I'm sure they still haven't raised the money because, you know, they simply haven't been realistic about it. And that was a case of rookies, yeah. you know, uh, so it's quite, it. it's it, what you're saying is exactly right.
1: Yeah, it's really important that if you're, you know, and, and in this market, by the way, you know, the other thing I hear from a lot of the gurus is, oh, you only buy based on actual numbers. But in this market, in fact, for 16 years, I've been buying apartments. I always bought on pro forma. But the question is, whose pro forma are you buying on? I'm buying on my pro forma that I develop. And for our students that, you know, come through our education and training, we're helping them with that pro forma based on our experience. So we're doing market surveys. We're accessing industry data. We're identifying the sales and the rental comps. And we're looking for similar properties with, you know, With proven rents. So we're not guessing on what the rents are going to be when we do our pro formas. We're not guessing what the expenses are going to be. You know, our teams and our management companies, we know within a few percentage points nearly exactly what it's going to take to run that property.
0: Well, that's exactly right. In fact, you know, what the seller's saying in their pro forma has nothing to do with how it's gonna operate in your hands. In fact, they're the ones that screwed it up, so why would you use their pro forma and not yours? In fact it was kinda of funny. I was having this conversation with George Ross, who you and I both know, and uh, I asked George a very simple question. I said, What what happens when you catch the seller in a lie in their pro forma? And you wanna know what he said?
1: No, tell me. I, I I I could guess, but I'd like to know. You know, he said.
0: He said, "Great. Now you have more negotiating leverage with them."
1: Yeah, I was gonna. That, that's good because I was gonna say like, well, it's it's almost like the sellers. And look, I don't want to say that all the sellers and all the brokers, you know, lie intentionally, but the the listing broker's job is to make the property. Is to present an optimistic view of the property. So typically, they're going to pick maybe the highest sales comps and the highest rental comps and base their pro forma off of those. But as a buyer, you also need to identify um, are those comps uh, realistic and obtainable. And sometimes they are, and some brokers actually do a really fair job of 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 underwriting the deals. But but some of them, you know, are tend to be more aggressive. For example, like. And a lot of markets we're buying in, like Dallas, Atlanta, Phoenix, Jacksonville. You know, there's about fourteen markets that 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 me and my students have bought deals in over the last year, and I personally own in six of them. Rent growths have been five to eight percent. But we underwrite based on a historical rent growth, which is closer to two to three percent. So we're not putting in like I just saw a deal that one of my students wanted me to review for them, and they had a four percent rent growth over ten years. And they had a 7% vacancy rate. And even though physical vacancy right now was only 7%, there's also other types of economic loss. There's always going to be some bad debt, which are you know in the B and C class, which is the preferred asset that I like to buy. There's going to be a couple percentage points of uncollected uh, rent. There may be a time where the economy weakens. There may be concessions. If you've ever seen you know, these signs on apartments that say free rent, well, those are move-in specials. So you know, I wouldn't underwrite a deal in a market. Whatever the physical vacancy is, what I mean to say is I would add a few percentage points above and beyond that to allow for those things. So my concern is the people that are underwriting these deals with 7% vacancy and 4% rent growth, they're not going to make it if there's a downturn.
0: That, that's exactly right. So you mentioned you're in 14 different markets. Now, in, in, in my world, real estate is hyper local. You know, if you say, tell me about the market in Dallas, that's kind of a ridiculous question. It's too big. You know, if you said, on the other hand, tell me about the apartment market within walking distance of the UT campus. Now that starts to become an interesting conversation, uh, because it's really those micro market circumstances that, that are really meaningful. How does that play into your strategy?
1: You know, I've been a Dallas resident for 10 years. I'm a Florida resident now, but our business is based out of Dallas. So Dallas actually has 37 different sub markets. And then, you know, people talk about DFW. Well, Dallas and Fort Worth are two distinct cities with two distinct demographics and two distinct personalities. And then, you know, in between Dallas and Fort Worth, there's 35 other submarkets. And so really, it's about putting your hands on that local industry data. Now, the question is, how do we identify the submarkets and what's happening in that submarket? Say you're living in, you know, we have students living in Seattle, buying in Phoenix, and I don't live in Phoenix, so I don't know intimately you know, what's happening in all those multiple sub markets all over the Phoenix area. Well, that's why we invest in industry data. So I could type in the address of a property nationally and pull up exactly what's happening within a one mile, three mile, and five mile ring looking at population growth, demographics, vacancy rates, the largest employers, are people moving in or people moving out? And that's the type of information that you need to be able to drill down into the type of information we invest in, because this is what the big companies are doing. You know, the big companies have access to this data and the the small investor, you know, if going from the newbie, even to somebody with three or four deals that might have 500 doors, they don't have the economies of scale in their company to spend 3 to 5000 a year to have national access to industry data and that's one of the things that we do and we've we're able to leverage that in our coaching with our students.
0: Let's talk switch a little bit talk about students what are let's say the top 3 rookie mistakes that you see students make over and over again?
1: Well, You know, it's it's more on the mindset side, actually. It's, you know, one is giving up. They, you know, they look at five or 10 deals and then they say, oh, this isn't working for me. And the reality is we've had people that looked at three deals, made an offer and got it under contract and closed. But then everybody else looks at them and says, well, if that's not happening for me, then maybe I made a, maybe I didn't make the right decision to be a multifamily investor. And my view is if, if you follow a proven path, you will get there you know, you will get there. And so some of my students that have been looking at deals for seven, eight months, they call me and say, well, Brad, what am I doing wrong? And I dissect their process. I dissect how they're approaching brokers. I dissect how they're underwriting deals. And I just tell them, just stay on course. You're going to get there. And those that persevere end up getting deals. Okay. So that's one. The second one would be, and it's, it's interesting because this is going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but one of the reasons that we offer the education and the coaching is to avoid these types of mistakes. You know, we could, if we could see what they're doing, we could, we can get them on the right course, but people out there have unrealistic expectations. A big mistake, I think, is is not getting mentoring. Like, I couldn't imagine how I would have bought a 32-unit building without screwing it up if I didn't have somebody that's been there and done that hold my hand through the process. And I'll imagine that you're syndicating a deal with other people's money in addition to your own. I mean, the stakes are pretty high. And that's why, you know, we're so passionate about education you know, and just common things that like syndicators will do is they take their eye off the ball. They could rush through. We talked about the importance of due diligence and not just looking at the property. But I think a lot of people miss the market piece. They they just look at the numbers and especially people with my type of background, which is an engineering background. We tend to focus on, oh, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, you know, and we're so left brain. But there's that right brain component, which is what about the market? What about the demographics? You know, is is this property going to be able to attract the right clientele and are we going to put in the right level of capital improvements and get the bang for our buck on our capex so i you know i could probably rattle off 15 or 20 more but those are the three that just come to my head right now that's
0: awesome if folks want to get in touch with you how would they do that
1: well they the best way is just to go to my website and that's BradSumrock.com and there's no C in my last name and that's it's B-R-A-D-S-U-M-R-O-K with no C dot com.
0: And you hold meetups in Dallas and any other locations?
1: Well, so we do our we do weekend trainings three times a year in Dallas, and these are sixteen hour intensive training events and I conduct the whole training event. and then we also have meetup groups scattered in different markets over the country. And these are meetups that my students actually co-organize with me. And so they'll do, you know, once a month or so in, in 31 different markets right now. The, and, and our meetups are called Apartment Investor Mastery and then the name of the city. So we have those in 31 different cities. And these are successful students that also, you know, wanted to, to help spread the word about the Brad Sumrock training program. So you could look, look us up on meetup, meetup.com, Apartment Investor Mastery, your city, and see if there's something near you.
0: Well, as always, great to connect in person. You know, we get to see each other every couple of months. And so I'm just, you know, glad that we managed to connect face to face as opposed to over the phone or over Skype. And uh, look forward to spending the rest of this uh, conference
1: with you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks so much.
0: Well, I hope you got value out of that conversation with Brad Sumrock. He's a real expert when it comes to multifamily investing. And if you want to reach out to him, reach out to him directly at bradsumrock.com That's B-R-A-D-S-U-M-R-O-K.com. And in the meantime, as you're thinking about investing in multifamily, have a spectacular day, make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.